Hey gang, welcome to episode 197 of the No Proscenium podcast, the voice of everything immersive. I'm your host, Noah Nelson, coming to you from the No Pro studio, aka the kitchen table here in Los Angeles. This week's episode is brought to you by listeners like you and a whole lot of listeners like you. More on that in a second. I'm excited about this episode because this is a day that will be long remembered. Um, We're talking Vader Immortal, which is one of the launch titles for the Oculus Quest, which is the new standalone, no computer needed, no wires attached, full six degrees of freedom VR headset that's coming out this month from Oculus. And Vader Immortal is the David Goyer written and ILM XLab produced story first episode of a multi-episode story that takes you to Darth Vader's castle on Mustafar. Now, as you remember from our last encyclopedic, no, um, everyone knows I am a massive Star Wars fan. Uh, I am current not only on the movies, but I'm current on uh, the trades of the comics. I read the novels. It is, it is an unhidden part of my life and has been for a very long time. Um, this experience uh, takes us, uh, sort of follows upon some of the events or definitely is in the setting and maybe, maybe follows on some of the events of Secrets of the Empire, which is the VR experience at the Void. That's the one where you infiltrate Vader's castle. Um, here uh, in this story, you're just a smuggler trying to get by and, and you're on a, you're on a run, you're, you're running some stuff and you get snatched up by the empire while you're minding your own business and taken to Vader's castle because he has taken an interest in you and he has a job for you. And honestly, when Darth Vader asks you to do something, you kind of don't have a choice. <laughs> it's Vader y'all. So today, um, We've got an interview with Mo and Leo, who's a narrative designer, Ben Snow, who's the director, Mark Miller, who's the executive producer, they're all from the X-Lab, and Colm Slevin, who is, uh, works on AR and VR experiences for Oculus. So uh, we had this sit-down little panel interview that happened right after I got to check out Vader Immortal. So what we're going to do is, I'm going to do a couple of things we do usually at the top of the show in a second here, which is point out some news. Uh, and then we're going to jump right into the interview. And then on the back end, I'm going to share a few impressions because this was my first time with the quest. And it was also uh, my first experience of Vader Immortal. I will be writing up a review and it should release at roughly the same time as this because all this information is under an embargo. Uh, I'm recording this the day before the embargo, just the day after the interview. Um, and let me talk to you a little bit about how different that is from what we've done for years now at No Persinium. You know, we're nearing our 200th episode, which is a massive milestone. And we've been doing No Pro as a site for over five years now. 
but we've never really been able to do something like go to a press junket in the middle of a week uh, at a place like Oculus or uh, sit down with the team uh, and be part of the coverage that is happening in the moment it happens. We've always had to be a few steps behind. All that changed uh, this month because I've left the day job behind. I've gone all in on immersive. And the big, big part of that, uh, the thing that's making that remotely possible is our Patreon, patreon.com slash no proscenium. And I just want to, I want to thank uh, a few of the people, well, all the people who joined up since our last episode. And there's a lot. Jude Jagger, Brian Stein, Ryan Tavlin, Bill Bingham, Beckett, Christian Cagigal, Ricky Briganti, Haley Nichelle, and Jarrett Lance. All of you, thank you for coming on board. Folks, come on board at the $1 and $5 levels. This is so useful to us. We are run just like public media is. Uh, we're run, the, these days, the only source of income for this project is directly from listeners like you. And that includes everything we do. And I'm so thankful. We're at $1,339 a month. Our next financial goal is $1,500 a month, at which point we will start socking away money for travel for the team. So even though, even though like I'm financially dependent upon this now, that was the goal we set. We're still going to do it. We're going to be setting away money from our supply so that we can help our staff go farther than they normally would to bring you more coverage. Um, there's a lot of initiatives that are going to be coming down this year. We'll get into those on a different episode. But again, thank you so much. And if you've been thinking about it before, uh, or if you're new to this, swing on by the Patreon, patreon.com slash no proscenium. We need you now more than ever. The sustaining backers for no proscenium are Samuel Mustry, Jan Budman, Lonnie Hanson, Ari Hurstan, Mark Balthazar, and Sam Kinkin. And now, without further ado, I'm going to jump into this interview that was conducted at Facebook out in Silicon Beach here in Los Angeles just this week. Um, I'm so happy we get to do this. Here we go. We're going to talk about Vader Immortal. I'm just back from Mustafar. We're here in a very nice room in Facebook out in uh, the Playa. And uh, who I want to just identify everyone's voices so people can know. So we'll, we'll actually reverse here. So this is? This is Colm. And next to him is? Hey, it's Mark. And then there's? Ben. And then there's? Moen. Moen. Okay, fantastic. So I just got back from Mustafar. I just experienced the first episode of Vader Immortal. And... Uh, Moen and Ben, we can start with you guys. Uh, let's talk a little bit about the story. What, what is this? How does this fit into uh, Star Wars? Um, Ben's gonna go. Okay, oh, yeah. I'm jumping, in, diving in. Um, so, Vader Immortal is a story that is set on Mustafa, and it um, takes place about six months before Rogue One. And a little bit after a, uh, a another VR experience we did called Secrets of the Empire. Um, so it's after Anakin Skywalker has become Darth Vader, but before we've seen him in A New Hope. So right, right, sort of in the in the heart of of Vader at the height of his powers, and 
uh, I know that what I just did, I just got hijacked by the empire and forced into a, a, a kind of a, not a world beater plot, but there's, there's, there's some high stakes going on here. The moment, could you kind of talk about like what it's like to work with and what, what you're, what you're aiming to create experience wise here for people like me who are yeah, obsessed. I, mean, I think what we, what we really want to do is, is tell a story where you are a protagonist. You're, you're a, central part of the story and that's something that i think only vr can really do and so with this um the idea of, of vader bringing you to mustafar and learning that there is something special about you that that uh, interests vader and that also makes you in a way sort of the a central part of the adventure that's about to unfold what these characters vader is sort of beyond iconic he's been part of our uh, culture for 40 years now do you and correct me if I'm wrong was that james Earl jones on the voice or was that someone else no, it was scott lawrence, scott lawrence. the voice of vader. okay and okay. he's done vader before right. it, it starts to blur at a certain point <laughs> no he he did a fantastic job with 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 getting the voice and it was important because we wanted to show a side of vader that you know we wanted to use the fact that VR can connect you to characters pretty well. And so we went to portray Vader is threatening and we people going to VR, meeting Darth Vader, you kind of want him to have an impact and he does. But we also wanted to maybe show you a little bit more of Vader, a little bit, you know, of man inside and, and at least suggest that. And so that was one of the things that I think we were looking for, looking for this as a good medium to explore. There's a lot of different ways to approach a VR experience. And what I found interesting here was there's there's maybe even more kind of escape gamey vibe to certain parts. Maybe we could talk to like weaving in that part of narrative, narrative design. Because like narrative design is such an interesting thing in VR because it's not just about storytelling. It's about what what the person's doing. Yeah, I think there's a there's a few things that we really learned uh, as we're developing this project. It, it started out as um, an early prototype that was much more passive, where you were more like a fly on the wall observing, you know, other characters doing things. And we, we realized that um, while that was interesting, it didn't seem to fully tap into the potential as VR as a medium, because I think all of us have grown up with, like, as Star Wars fans, and a big part of that is that you want to be oh sorry you want to be in 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 star wars you want to sort of get to that world that's usually on the other side of the screen but what we learned is that once you're there you want to participate you know you want to be part of that story you want to drive the story forward and so there's a few things we learned like one is really scenes have to be about you every scene has to involve you characters have to acknowledge you characters have to interact with you so that um, you, you feel really like you're, you're part of the world of Star Wars. And then also making sure that we use some of these, um, these uh, things that you mentioned that are almost like you know, escape room things and, and some of the other actions that you do as well uh, as a way for you to actually propel the story forward. Um, so rather than in other media where the story can sort of just kind of have its own pace, in VR, we learned it's really important that that you can set the pace of, of the story and it's your actions that actually propel the story forward. And so in a way, you become almost a little bit like the editor of it as well. You can, you can 
have scenes unfold slower if you if you want to look around if you want to explore and that was challenge because we want to make sure that you pay attention to the story and that you absorb the story and get a chance to absorb the story and so we quickly found that just being in that and particularly being in a star wars world um and you're like wow i'm in a star wars world and you start looking around and just enjoying that fact and not paying attention to anything anyone was telling you so we had to give you moments to breathe at the beginning of a scene so that you got a chance to enjoy the surroundings and we use things like gaze targeting so if you were looking at one of the characters then they would start telling you you know a little bit of the story so it was a matter of being really aware of of the characters and uh being aware of um getting the story across to the person but also that as a character we didn't want you to feel like you were supposed to know something you weren't supposed to Mm -hmm. so you're from off planet you have a history that ties you somehow to this place but it's not a history you're really aware of so you discover what's important about the story uh, you know as you go through it and 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 that i think is again something we learned sort of as a unique uh property of like these interactive stories is that when you're when you're dealing with film or a book you can have like a gap between what the character knows and what the audience knows you know the character can know more than the audience so they might know less than the audience but here the story really has to be structured in a way where you are the main character and so that character can only know what you know and everything that is relevant to the story has to be revealed within the story. Now we might come back to that if, if there's enough time to yeah. go nerd lore level. But Mark, I wanted to swing over to you. Um, how long, I mean, the, the first part of this is how long has the, the X-Lab been, been working on this? Um, this started almost three years ago um, in, in different forms. It started as uh, some prototypes and it really started with a conversation with David Goyer, we brought him up and we knew we wanted to work with him from the start and he was very interested. He's written for movies and games and he he's interested in this new art form. So we sat down with him and the Lucasfilm Story Group and really uh, had the fun conversation of, you know, when are we going to tell a story in the timeline, where and who? And um, the who came pretty quickly. We, we all kind of like threw some names up on the board and then it was like Vader. Yeah. Okay. We want to dive into that. And then the, when, as these guys said, it was like, okay, this is, this is a, um, this is a mysterious time that we don't know a ton about. There's, there's been some, some side channel comic book stuff and, and other literature about this, but nothing in the movies. Um, so, uh, that, that got very exciting very quickly. And, uh, and then, after a few of these prototypes, um, uh, Moen and Ben and, and our team at X-Lab kind of put together the new pitch for the story of, uh, of you being uh, the main character. And we took that to uh, Colum and the people at Oculus and it kind of, it came together very quickly after that. Now, you guys have access to some of the best known IP, some of the beloved material and and you're in this new medium and i mean the one thing that's been impressive but i've seen about ah, one of the things that's been impressive i've seen out of the x lab is that there's there's a, a sort of fearlessness about embracing what the medium can do but how much pressure is there to really both get things right and and push the envelope when you're playing with star wars in a new medium well there's tons of it but it's 
luckily it it starts we don't we don't feel that at the start the original conversations are more about you know let's take a whiteboard and throw up everything that we all fantasize about doing if we got to be in star wars you know we want to have a droid companion we want to use a lightsaber we want to make the jump to light speed we want to pilot an x-wing whatever you want to do so we had like whole whiteboards of everybody's like childhood fantasies and then you start whittling out and going you know and and working with david and putting all that down and then you realize that okay if we're going to do something like a lightsaber we have to get it right speaking to the pressure you're talking about you know we we know i mean it's one of the reasons we grabbed ben over from the other side of ilm we needed someone who could make it look like star wars and make the characters look like star wars and and recreate that world and be faithful to the movies but then also the lightsaber we needed a mechanic and a and a feel to it that made you actually buy that you were using it and obviously sounds a big part of that too the skywalker guys helped us out there but um it's star wars has always had a tradition of technology pushing technology you know um ilm and uh, and uh, skywalker sound and you know the technology of film has been pushed a lot through star wars a lot of work star wars has done and i think that that's great to be able to carry that on so there's definitely a pressure i mean um you know mark you and and vicky Dobbsbeck, who's the other uh, lead of XLab, really say we want to be innovative, we want to push things. But really, when it comes down to it, we, we, we want to get our stories out and on the screen and in the hands of people. And this is an unsolved medium in terms of storytelling. So it's uh, it's really a good opportunity. Now, I mean, there's, there's so much in what you guys have been experimenting with that I've seen in terms of you know, connecting people to virtual characters, like even that early demo of with the with the droids. Yeah. You know, getting to see BB-8, you know, roll around a room, and I was instantly like interacting with BB-8 the way I would my cat, yeah. uh, or or just just all those things and like little little tiny bits, or or just even with the trials on Tatooine. You know, just just small things that get you grounded into into the world that go beyond just the look. The the, the feel is something that you guys spent a lot of time on. I've been impressed by. Colin. Uh, I want to spin to you. So, I mean, how how big of a deal is it that you guys get to have a Star Wars title at launch for for Quest for Quest? It's huge. Um, you know, as as Ben was saying, or as as Ben and Mark were saying, that this project has been in gestation for for several years, and we've actually been talking to the team at ILMX Lab since the earliest or early incarnations of it, and. The fearlessness you mentioned is was the main thing that drew us to this team and this project. Like honestly, like aside from the fact that it's Star Wars, you know, games are this relatively mature medium in VR. The 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 tools of creation are familiar to game developers, and the language of design had a shallow, shallow learning curve for them. Uh, but filmmakers and storytellers are often quite lost when it comes to how do you tell a story when the you know when the the audience is the protagonist or the audience is in it so the fact that this team's mantra and this team's entire raison d'etre is to crack that code was the main thing that drew us to it the fact that it's also in a a uh, you know a franchise that is the the best and and you know most most well known in the world for the last 40 years it is you know 
it's a nice bonus and it's 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 incredibly it's incredibly great to be able to to, to work and give you know give people that experience so the thing moen was talking about about since 1977 like the star wars universe has been this lived in tactile feeling universe but you can never actually go there and any experience to try to take you there was was a relatively you know pale approximation of it so the notion of being able to the ultimate promise of vr is to transport people somewhere and make them feel something they've never felt before and take them somewhere they could never otherwise go so to me this is the ultimate promise like i don't know how we follow this but taking people into the into the the world of star wars at the get-go was was you know too great a chance to turn up and i I think one of the things that that we always talk about which is so unique about this medium is that it can it can give you memories of fictional events it can we Mm. you can have a memory of having been in star wars having met darth vader and that's a that's a really unique thing that that no other medium can do. One of one of our um, Sash Gunselt, who, who's who's a director that we all know and love, said something to me very early on in VR, where he said a really effective VR experience is like a memory of a dream. Yeah. And you know, to to Moen's point, that's exactly the point. People come away with imprints in their mind of things that never happened. Yeah. Well, and and dream, I think, is really key here in a couple of dimensions. Um, because if you've been a Star Wars fan, you've you've daydreamed moments. I mean, one of the things I love about what's going on in, in, in the current renaissance of Star Wars is just elements like Mustafar and Vader's castle are just pulled out of the Macquarie paintings from like ni- you know, 82 when they were developing Jedi, I mean 81, and like nothing gets wasted. Like there isn't a single thing in the archive that isn't brought, brought forward. And I know that I spent time when I was a kid staring at pictures of a lava field and imagining what that fight was going to be like, you know, when when Obi Wan and Vader finally you know stare stared each other down, but also staring at pictures of the castle designs and wondering, oh, will we ever get to see it? And and it's funky that the most times I've seen it, other than on a comic book page, have been in VR because I'm standing on a skiff and I'm moving looking towards it, it, right? Yeah. Like constantly looking at it. Um, the, this there's something about the way this is this idea you mentioned earlier, Moen, about playing with what the protagonist knows and you've got to sort of sync that up. Like what the protagonist knows and what the the audience knows in this kind of has to kind of be synced. And it's so funny because as someone who has absorbed everything he could get his hands on about Star Wars for 40 years, or probably more like 37 years, I mean, I wasn't not that old. Um, there's... It's little moments like not only how does a lightsaber work, how is it supposed to feel in my hand, but like how it cuts or what it does and doesn't cut. Um, could, could you talk a little bit about, you know, the, the, that pressure, those choices, like balancing, balancing like the fact that you've got people who are coming in and who are like, you know, who might spend all day tweeting at Pablo Hidalgo, like going, like, I'm going to catch you in something versus people who are like, oh, I think I saw like two of the movies once and like, I got this headset now. Yeah. I mean, that's a, that's a really good point because that's another level of like, how much knowledge do you expect? And, and I think it's, um, on the one hand, we want to make sure that the story we tell, even if you've never seen any Star Wars movie, there's, it's still engaging. It's still exciting. There's a, there's a the core of a hero's journey in there, a call to adventure, you know, um, mysteries to uncover. But at the same time, we want to make sure that that the 
world is rich enough that if you if you have that deep affection for Star Wars, if you have that knowledge of the history of it, you can find echoes of that everywhere. And then the authenticity is like a, is a huge part of it, you know. And so that's where we're really fortunate that we we work with people from from the visual effects side that work on the movies, the art department, you know, Aaron McBride, who's like the lead concept artist on this. They uh, he worked on on concepts for the movies and um, Skywalker Sound, and so. Uh, all of the people, in a way, what's what's great about it is like all of the people that that uh, are key in, in sort of making the movies what they are. They they find we find a way to make them contribute in this as well. And then on the on the other hand, what's what's also really makes this rich is bringing people from the interactive side, from AAA games industry, that then can sort of round this out and make sure that it doesn't. It it's not just like looks and and sounds like Star Wars, but the, the experience, the interactions actually sort of fulfill that fantasy that you have as well. I want to point out one thing, like one, I do not tweet at Pablo about Star Wars ever. I will tweet at him about Transformers because he's into that. Um, and that's just advice for everyone. Um, two, two more kind of big questions. Cause I know we've only got so much time. Um, the first is, um, then the first got replaced. Uh, talk to me a bit about accessibility here, because I think there's something, something that I love about you know what the LBE experience over at the Void is that there's a whole there's a whole way in which they approach people who are you know having mobility problems so they can like get through that experience and making making immersive things accessible to folks. I think VR's got a lot of potential there that mm-hmm. I know on the live side we actually have a lot of problems with because we're not always working that way so right. so what, what are some of the affordances here that you're playing with well i, I one thing I, I wanted to just before kick it off to you ben is is one of the first things this team said to us when we first started sort of navigating how we were going to build this thing was how important it was that this experience be accessible widely and you know deeply accessible to to everyone at you know all types of mobility all types of all types of accessibility so you really you guys really designed this from the ground up yeah we have a couple of people in x lab sort of really focused on accessibility stuff and you know we were also very conscious of this being potentially you know one of people's first vr experiences so we have accessibility in that you can um, do it seated or standing um, we also have a lot of comfort settings in the in the experience so you can uh, you know, by default, you sort of use teleportation to jump around, but you can also use joysticks to move around. And you can, if you're, you know, if you feel like you might get discomfort because you're prone to motion sickness, then there are ways you can skip things like climbing and that sort of thing. So we definitely at ILMX Lab like to think about, you know, how do we make our thing enjoyable by as many people as we can, regardless of, of, of the restrictions they have. Have there, has there been any thought to building like a giant jungle gym version of this one? Because <laughs> I want to run around. Well, you know, the beauty of the Oculus Quest is you have a basketball court. You can walk around. But, you know, obviously we can't let you roam anywhere or you'll roam out of story. And we certainly in QA testing this had a couple of situations. Or into a lava pit. Yeah. yeah, or into a lava pit. But, um, you know, it's certainly something that we're really fascinated with. And, you know, we, uh, I think Moen had one of the headsets and set off to walk as far as he could in some of the environments here so it's pretty cool what has working on this has this left you hungry for more and and what are the things that you're hoping to 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 bite into oh yeah we 
I mean, it, uh, Colin said it earlier. We're, 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 this is new territory in many ways. I mean, there's been a lot of great work in VR and over the years, you know, going back many years. But um, it definitely, you have to go in there with the beginner's mindset and um, assume that you don't know everything and tr try things even if you think they're going to be wrong. I mean, you know, on um, when we were first doing Secrets of the Empire, there's a skiff ride moment there. And we talked to Disney Imagineers about um, comfort on that. And some of them were like, no way, you absolutely can't do that. And so we did things like, oh, okay, well, look, if we give you a frame of reference by putting a little pilot on a little pod in front of you, then you have a constant and that will give you something to focus on. So you won't feel discomfort. So it's like, how do you surmount things that could be a concern? And how do you solve these problems? So it's really exciting because as we've, developed this we've come up with a lot of ideas that we aren't able to try and are eager to try as we move forward and immediately we have an appetite because we haven't finished episodes two and three yet so, <laughs> so, yeah, so much. there's a lot of appetite there yeah um okay i think we're getting close to the end of our time so uh, i could i could ask a million nerdy questions but i i guess Here's here's this to go to go nerd story here. Um, will we see reflections of what we're seeing here, kind of echoing out? Because there's there's been a lot of play in Vader's castle in the past year and a half, and I'm just kind of wondering: is this the culmination, or is or is this maybe the the rhythm section to this band? Uh, yeah, this is this is nice. This is the nice part about opening up a new part of the world that, you know, Rogue One opened up for us and we kind of like moved in. So uh, we saw a little bit of it in that movie and we got intrigued about it and said, okay, what is it? Why is it there? What's going on? Um, and what's he doing there? But but I think certainly if, if people, that's one of the things that's so great about, about Star Wars and the story group is like this ability that that when people really latch onto something, if, if people find something in our experience that they want to know more about, somewhere in the, you know, across the media, we'll find a way of, of exploring that story. That's what makes Star Wars so much fun. One of the things, I've told these, these guys have heard this story so many times that they'll throw up, but, but one of the things that dawned on me during the process of development was that... Um, Immersive experiences have always been a Star Wars thing. There was an arcade cabinet around the time of Jedi, the vector-based Star Wars uh, X-wing fighter game that I, I was pl playing it last night. Actually, it's it, yeah. and at the time it was. I'm I'm interested to know how it holds up because at the time it was completely transcendent. Yeah, where were you playing it? Was, there's an emulator, right? Or no, uh, they've got a copy of it at Barcade in oh, Highland Park oh that just opened God. up this weekend. But check this out. There's you can flip over to the Empire Strikes Back, which oh. is super rare, and I had never played like, until last night. No, no, the Jedi was the color Jedi one. Jedi was color, This yeah. was another vector graphic. I mean, it is not as good as right. the original because, like, there's no climactic moment of blowing up the Death the Star. The Death Star, yeah. But I had, I had only... It had been a rumor and legend, right. and they've 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 rigged it so you can flip. Well, well, the thing that we got like this, what brought this back to me was talking to fans at Celebration and realizing that in many ways this experience is sort of like this fulfillment of a promise to our childhood selves. Like, oh, yeah. as Ben was saying, like earlier, well, you can go back there. You never thought you could go there, but now you actually can. Yeah. No, I, I remember standing outside the void um, and, and in downtown Disney after having just gone through and, and someone was walking by 
and uh, like a, a dad with his kids. And he was like, is that, is that a VR thing? And I was like, remember how VR wasn't, they, they promised us in the 90s? This is that. And what's, what's great now being untethered with the Quest is where, where they, I mean, you're flipping switches and lightsabering and I'm like, right. oh goody, like yeah. at, at long last, we've, we've begun. Yeah. Guys, I think that's all the time we have. So thank you so much. Thank you for making thank this. Thank you. Thanks a lot. Thanks. Many thanks. Once again, I want to thank Mo and Leo, Ben Snow, Mark Miller, and Colin Slevin for being on the show today. I want to thank the folks over at the ILM X Lab for inviting me. Shout out to Brian Bishop, who's working the PR side things now, uh, for being on the hook up there. Um, <laughs> for some reasons, this couldn't have come at a better time. So I'm very grateful. Uh, I'm very grateful to everyone who supports the show because, again, couldn't happen at a better time on that side too. Uh, and those of you who follow the show know that, uh, you know, uh, it's rocky lately, but let's not worry about that. Let's talk Vader Immortal. Okay. Um, I'm going to say first off that this is what I've been waiting for in many ways. Uh, I've been following as much as possible. It's been possible to follow this project, uh, since David Goyer was announced, Uh, as working on a project with the X-Lab. I got very excited about that. Um, I love the Blade movies. Uh, I I love his work with Christopher Nolan on the Batman movies. Um, I've, you know, been been following Goyer for a long time. Obviously, Vader, I'm a big fan of. Well, I mean, in the sense I love to hate him. Um, And indeed, it's bone deep, you know, like it's at the level of like the shark from Jaws. Uh, it's not like I'm scared of him the way I was scared of the shark from Jaws, but like he's Darth Vader. Okay. It is like evil incarnate. Um, and also he hates sand and like, you know, sand's not that bad. Um, (laughs) sorry, I, I can't stop myself ever. Um, this and beyond that, you know, this is the meatiest VR experience I've yet have had. Uh, it goes on for a while. Like this episode, it's it's longer than anything I've done in the void. It's longer. Uh, I mean, I think the only thing that comes close in terms of length of time is like I have spent a lot of time in um, virtual virtual reality, and so you can spend a, a good chunk of time in here. But also another reason why I've been waiting for this is that this is a launch title for the Quest, and the Quest is such an interesting piece of technology because. Um, I just want to be blunt here. The Quest is what should have been our first commercial VR product. Full stop. All right. I probably just upset some people with that. But I mean, not not even the Rift, not the commercial versions of the Rift, not or, or if they were out, you know, they, they obviously needed to be out for development reasons. But like positions to developer kit, not the Vive, which is. It's a great piece of kit. I've had a lot of great experiences with the Vive. Not the Go, not the Daydream, definitely not Google Cardboard. Um, I haven't messed around with Nintendo Switch's Labo VR yet. I'm going to. Maybe we'll do an unboxing video and then reboxing video since it's all about cardboard. And that seems like it might be fun. Um, but fun, kind of the way that like the Viewmaster thing that I used to put my phone in was fun. The Quest 
is the is what people sort of I think in their hearts expected. And my experience of the demo was not flawless. It was not perfect. Um, in fact, when when there were technical glitches and there were a few, um, it creates this sort of moment, uh, a, a kind of an uncanny valley experience moment. Um, at this point, I don't know if it was that the, the headset was kind of like running low on power at a certain point, or if I was just throwing myself into the experience at full bore. Because during the action sequences, uh, sometimes the image would, would clip into a, like a blackout, and I was told it was because I was putting my, my face into the geometry of the characters. And um, I didn't always feel like I was doing that, so I'm not sure. Also, I hadn't set up the system I had never used the quest before. It's entirely possible that there's just some things that a little familiarity, particularly I, I would say like if I had said maybe played Beat Saber in a quest, uh, which I've played Beat Saber before and I know how it works, you know, that might have calibrated me a bit more. And Beat Saber being appropriate because Beat Saber involves lightsabers and shock of shocks, you wind up with a lightsaber. You wind up with other stuff. Um, what's incredible about this is much like it was mentioned in the interview they give you the time to explore the space they let you set the cadence of how the story goes and that is so smart and it this experience does such a good job of grounding you in the world now when there are little breaks and maybe the most frustrating break is that it's really easy to hit the menu button uh, while you're in a sequence and that jumps you out. Like the menu button is placed, placed kind of like if you've got your thumb on the left thumbstick and you rest your thumb uh, on the controller, uh, you will almost automatically hit the menu button. So you got to kind of like train your hand to like not do that. Um, that's I feel that's sort of wild. That's something that feels like it's a thing that Oculus can address, you know, making it a double tap or something. Like just gonna throw that one out there. Like make it a double tap to hit the menu. It's okay. Give us that setting. Maybe that setting exists already. And again, not my headset. I don't get to set it up. I didn't set up the Guardian. You know, uh, I'm not grounded in the use of this one. And the only reason to note that is because I want to be as transparent as possible here because I really enjoyed Vader Immortal, but I don't want to give almost anything a free pass right now, um, if only because there is a part of me that does really want to see the quest be a success. You know, we're not supposed to root for things. And look, anyone who is making something like the quest, I would be very excited about this equipment coming out because there's such great potential in this form. We've, I've bet my life on immersive, both physical and digital. And with a device like the quest. And when I say that, you know, Vive's going to have the focus is going to be out and it's going to do a lot of similar stuff. And other people are making similar things. And I know there's a lot of people who are hyped about AR. It's like AR, AR, AR. But I've always been about the VR because I'm less interested in sort of the, the things you can do when you overlay reality, um, at least from a narrative standpoint, than when you can create an entire reality. 
and that and one day there'll be convergence devices and one day there'll be one headset and indeed the pass-through camera um, which is something that triggers if you step outside the guardian uh, system in uh, the quest the pass-through camera would theoretically allow you to do AR experiences in the quest. They're not, as far as I know, they're not setting it up for that, but theoretically. Also, the image that comes through is a, a black and white kind of pixelated image. Um, it's it's almost certain that that, you know, in future iterations of either the hardware or the software, that'll change. I actually like it because it reminds me of the Pixel Vision camera. If you don't know what the Pixel Vision camera is, uh, look it up uh, and also check out the movie Nadia, which is this vampire movie that was made in the 90s, stars Hal Hartley. Um, and uh, I can't remember the name of the filmmaker. He also, he, he, which is a shame because like, he's a really well-known indie filmmaker, uh, or at least really well-known in the 90s. <clears throat> I believe he went on to do a, a Hamlet with Ethan Hawke and Kyle MacLachlan, a bunch of interesting people. Anyway, uh, uh, the, the image reminds me of that so much so that like I, I wish there was a recording mode like I wish I could just have that on my face and record like uh, a movie like make make home movies in pixel vision with the oculus quest hey maybe that's something they can turn on I don't know I'm just again throwing things out there double tap on the menu record video mode on the uh on the thing probably that would eat up the the storage so so fast um super comfortable um, just, just natural. There's no, there's no cables. There's no wires. Uh, so I, I'm, I'm really, really excited to see. I feel like the, the era of consumer VR has actually started now. There's a very good chance that I wrote that when, uh, I, I talked about the go at some point and now, and if I did, um, <laughs> uh, no, not true. Uh, the go, the go is sitting there. It's looking at me right now and I haven't used it in a while. And there's some use cases for the go, particularly around uh, VR video that I think, uh, it's super useful for. And there's plenty of VR video experiences and there's a lot of documentary experiences that I think are, are totally, uh, worthwhile endeavors and not just in the sense of like, you know, that's a noble but stupid thing, but no, like really seriously, there's a power in VR in 360 filmmaking that is still being explored and, and still being unlocked. But once you throw room scale into the mix, that's the deal. That's the real thing. And what's interesting about my experience is like, you know, having that sort of breakdown happening during the action sequences, uh, may very well have been because I was throwing myself in full scale. Like this was not, I was not Alec Guinness in episode four. I was going in full on Ewan McGregor in episodes one, two, three. Like I was, I was taking lightsaber fighting stances and I, th I think the machine may have been scared and <laughs> didn't want to be beaten so badly. So it kept cheating. Um, that all of that aside, they get the details on the experience side so right. Look, we're in a game engine here. We don't have photorealistic characters. Uh, the art style is pretty much the art style that's in Shadows of the Empire. So uh, you know that's the weight, but it's still really good characters, lovely details um, in terms of the character models. Right at the start, you get to walk around. And you've got a big enough space. You actually can walk around. Apparently, the quest goes up to like 25 by 25. So like 
prepare to clear some living rooms or bigger spaces. Um, John, watch out. I'm going to come to Thymeli with a thing. Um, you've got, you're on a spaceship. You can walk around the spaceship. You can pick things up. And like your droid companion, who's played by Maya Rudolph, like tells you what it is you're picking up. You're kind of in like the 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 loot screen of a video game, but the loot screen is your ship, and there's even a model of your ship. And so I totally picked it up and like played with the model of the ship for a while. There's it's just so charming. That part's just so charming, and that alone would be enough to be like this is nice. But they go there on story. They use the lore of Star Wars in really smart ways. You do not need to be versed, you know, the way I am in Star Wars to follow this story, to get the story, to understand the stakes of the story, and to feel like you're part of something. And if you've got the gene to feel like you're part of something bigger and to find yourself wanting to role play. I was, I was role playing almost the entire time. Uh, I, was, I was quipping back at the characters. Of course, they can't hear me. That's just a limitation of the technology. Again, this sort of uncanny valley thing where things are so good in terms of what you're seeing, in terms of what you're getting to do, in terms of the quality, that you find yourself reaching for that, that space beyond and finding, okay, well, we can't do that yet. But you see the road. But this was the thing. And I'm, I'm, I'm happy about it. And, you know, it, again, it wasn't flawless. But I'm into it. And I want to see what they do next. There's two more chapters in this thing. And I want to put other people in it. Like, I am stoked for people to check this out. Uh, I'm, I'm stoked for where things are going to iterate. I'm stoked... <laughs> Radical dude. Uh, it's gnarly. Uh, I'm going to try to stop saying stoked. This is exciting. This is an exciting moment. And it's here. Just a few weeks. Just a few weeks. And, and everyone can check it out. And you can say whether well or not like I'm crazy. Um, I know there's a lot. And I'll get into this a little bit in the, interview, in the review. Look. Um, the, the, the tech press has sort of fallen out of love with VR and with good cause because the rollout's been rough and the rollout they're, they're, you know, like I said, if this had been the thing that had been released, if something like the quest had dropped um, almost like out of the blue iPhone style, I think people would have lost their minds. Instead, you know, you can't take back the past few years. You can't put everything away and, and hide things and just be like, oh, nope, sorry. Um, what I got to see yesterday took me back to that moment at E3 when I was in the, the Starfighter uh, cockpit for uh, what would become Eve Valkyrie. Right? It took me back to that. So we're here now. And I, I really hope we get to go forward. And look, there's a lot going on in the world, right? Like whether or not VR becomes a thing isn't necessarily the most important thing that's happening in reality, right? Like there's politics stuff that is that is intense so much so that people like don't want to look in the face of it lest like they, 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 their faces melt off. Um, we're in a serious issue with the climate 
Like, I don't know if you follow that news, but like the reports coming out this week were basically like, yeah, man, nature may not be able to handle it anymore. Like, and, um, you know, can't ignore that that's going on in the world. Can't feel sometimes that we're over here talking about immersive technology and immersive experiences and, 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 and the artistry of it and like, you know, connecting people and whatnot and feel that maybe we're insane that maybe we're saying like, oh man, could you just, what if you built me a better fiddle, right? Um, but I'm going to note two things. One, I think there's a power in immersive as a form to create connection in a way that overcomes the limitations we have right now with our digital media, with the way that social media has bifurcated us, has divided us up, has shunted us down into algorithmic classifications in order to be properly monetized. And look, that temptation is always going to be there. That ability is always going to be there. But we know through experience as humans that, that that doesn't work. That's a piss poor quality of life right there. If that's all we are and we want something more, we reach out for something more instinctually. And the folks who are designing this kind of work feel that too. That's what they're reaching out for. And I think we need that and to rediscover that part of ourselves as a culture, as a whole, and that our media, our mediums support that. We have to be grounded in that if we're going to successfully move forward as a culture, as a species. Right? <laughs> People who aren't used to the show are going to be like, well, what is this guy talking about? This is insane. I just want to hear about Star Wars, man. I want to talk to you about Star Wars. <laughs> but I kind of am at the same time. I'm talking to you about Star Wars right now because Star Wars has always done this for me. The other thing is this, um, we got to have something to live for, right? More than just survival. We got to, we got to have a, a star to reach out towards. And when I think about a world where we've tackled the problems that we have as a society and as a culture on a global scale, where we're actively engaged, where we've, we've pulled ourselves back from the brink. Where do we go next? What's on the horizon? What could be a happy future? Not, not this dystopian nightmare we've given ourselves, but something. And I see what's going on with the immersive technology and with the way the storytelling is coming together and the idea that now in 2019, we can go to Star Wars, like they mentioned, right? And we can do that at home in a quest or a rift we can do that at the void. We can do that if we go to Anaheim and physically go there. We've come so far as a culture in terms of creating these spaces, taking these, these imaginal palaces and bringing them to life and hopefully imbuing them with the best of who we are, with, with thoughts and Experiences and lessons and ideas and meditations on who we are and who we could become. And I know that that also will sound daft to some people, but 
I came to this craft through Star Wars, through studying Campbell, through the idea that storytelling is something that binds us together and have been taken to places that go beyond that to understandings of this way of communicating as being about connection and about being about the transmission of values and the the setting up of of patterns of existence we are on the brink of some truly beautiful stuff um kent by our friend over at the Voices of VR podcast, always likes to ask people about what the ultimate potential of VR is. And I got to say, like, when he asks that, I think he's asking about what the ultimate potential of humanity is. Um, and I think that our potential is to create a world where we're empowered to share beautiful things with each other and to make life better for everyone around us. And you gotta know, I'm saying that at a point when, you know, even in my own world, things are, things are very frightening and I'm out on this edge and I don't know, I don't know if the leap I've taken, if, if I'm gonna plummet or if this leap of faith it, it was, if it was remotely the wise thing to do. But I know this much, I gotta believe in a future where we make it and where we have incredible things there. And we get to, it's not, it's not a utopia, there's drama, there's conflict, we're human, right? Indeed, you know, there's there's no there's no way to get past that. You you can't defeat death. Sorry, Lord Vader, you can't defeat death. There's a cost if you do. That's actually, in part, what Vader Immortal is all about. Well, not even in part. That that's that's the message of the first chapter, and it's going to unfold more. And this place we found ourselves where we're able to put people into stories. Um, I think about how that can be used in so many ways and hopefully in so many good ways. And now that power is ours. I can't help but be excited about that. And also be excited that I get to like, you know, visit Star Wars whenever I want. There's that too. Look, I'm a nerd. I'm a goober. Whatever. You know it. But it's good to be excited about things, particularly in this day and age. All right. Let's do the credits now that I've ruined this perfectly good, you know, launch day thing with some dippy pseudo hippie Jedi philosophy. Okay. 
Um, here's how this all works. Uh, if this is the kind of thing, <laughs> and there's people who are like, oh, nope, not my thing. <laughs> if this kind of thing is your your bag, uh, nopersinium.com is where you can find all of our stuff. We're at nopersinium on Twitter. We're at no underscore persinium on Instagram, where creators take over our account all the time. We've got a bunch of them coming from the Bay Area this weekend. Uh, excited about that. Uh, you can email us if you're a show creator or if you have VR experiences you want us to check out at pitches at nopersinium.com. We're very, very interested in all that. Patreon.com slash nopersinium is how you help us, um, you know, and keep my blood sugar level so I don't go as, as, as weird as I did this time. Or maybe, you know, make sure I go weirder. The music for No Persinium is by Chris Porter of the Speakeasy Society. The managing editor of No Persinium is Catherine Yu. The sustaining backers are Samuel Mustry, Jan Budman, Lonnie Hanson, Ari Herstan, Mark Balthazar, and Sam Kinkin. That's it. I'm Noah Nelson. This has been the show. And yeah, you got a full measure of it. That's for certain. And until next time, I'll see you at the show. <laughs> <laughs>